I believe this speaks about two births, as Jesus is talking about here. You must be born again, our physical birth, and also a spiritual birth. And just as our physical birth was not of our own doing, nor is our spiritual birth, it is a gift from God. Our process is faith in the work that Jesus did. In faith in Jesus Christ, that new birth comes. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. I titled this, For God So Loved. In chapter 2, it closed out with John twice telling us that Jesus knows the heart of man. And here in chapter 3, Jesus reveals to a man his knowledge of a man named Nicodemus, the original Nicod Knight. We meet him right here in John chapter 3. And so we're going to find in our text today, for God so loved, in verses 1 through 16, a teacher come from God, in verses 1 and 2. You must be born again, verses 3 through 9. As Moses lifted up the serpent, verses 10 through 15, and whoever believes, in verse 16. I'm going to go ahead and uh, read through the first couple of verses, get us into our teaching this morning, but ask the Lord to bless through prayer as well. So verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Father, I pray that you would just prick our hearts as we study this passage, a very familiar passage to us, especially verse 16. But Lord, I pray that you just give us some greater understanding. And Lord, that if there are some who have wandered from faith, you'd use this teaching, Lord, to help bring them back and to draw them near once again. Or perhaps, Lord, there are those who, like Nicodemus, a very religious man, but Lord, he still did not know salvation. But he would By the end of the book of John, we'll learn that he comes to saving faith. And so, Father, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of those, perhaps, Lord, they could be very religious but not saved, or maybe they're not religious but still not saved. Speak to our hearts, Lord, 
that we might all enter into the kingdom of God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we have this Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and he was part of the Pharisees, a name that meant the separated ones. These were the strict guys in Israel, and they were largely responsible for adding an additional 613 laws to the Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, just the Ten Commandments and think, well, I can't keep those. That's true. Well, they were thinking, yeah, but, you know, how about let's add another 613 altogether. They actually had the thou shall not, one for every day of the year. And so instead of having a great scripture memory verse like we have for this month in John 4, 24, that tells us God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Well, they get to wake up to every day. They could have the thou shall not, one for every day of the year. Great way to start your day off those things you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you need that. But the Pharisees lived this way. They believed in predestination, immortality, spirits and angels. And they believed in works for salvation. And sadly, they misrepresented God's law before the people that they might justify themselves before men. Jesus was not very kind to the sect of the Pharisees. And the thing is, when the Pharisees got together as a group some 400 years earlier, they were kind of like the Calvary chapels. They were the back to the Bible guys. They wanted to live for God. But after 400 years, it became more of a list of rules and do's and don'ts than that of actually living for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus said a lot of negative things about the Pharisees, like Matthew 5.20, where he says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Or John 16.6, where Jesus said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Or John 23.1-3, where Jesus spoke, saying, and the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They had authority over the people as rulers in Israel. They sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. They say, they teach what you should be doing. And, and Jesus said, do those things. But they don't follow it themselves. Don't Look at them for an example. And then Jesus, in that same chapter, had seven woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, calling them hypocrites seven times. He brought great condemnation against this group. But within the group, there were men who were really seeking the Lord, like Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher, a ruler of the Jews. He is part of the Sanhedrin court, as we'll find out in John chapter 7. The Sanhedrin court consisted of the high priest and 70 other men of scribes and Pharisees and rulers in Israel. And they were considered the guardians of the holy temple. And just in the preceding chapter, we have Jesus coming into the temple to cleanse the temple and crying, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He contested their authority and these things and more caused the Sanhedrin court to one day 
crucified Jesus. They were condemning of Jesus and his ways. He challenged them. And Nicodemus was part of this group. Now we'll learn in chapter 7 later on, he's mentioned three times in John's gospel that Nicodemus actually in chapter 7 began to stand up for Jesus, questioned what they, the judgments that they were trying to uh, place on Jesus. And then after Jesus died, he was with Joseph of Arimathea and he helped to bury Jesus in his tomb. So he openly would stand for Jesus later on. But right now he comes to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was obviously a man whose heart was soft toward the Lord. But his coming to Jesus by night in verse 2, it tells us that he was not yet ready to openly follow Jesus. However, we find some very positive things that were taking place in Nicodemus's heart. He called Jesus rabbi. It means my master. And it speaks about a Jewish teacher or scholar. He, secondly, he called him teacher or instructor. And not just any teacher, but one who has come from God. He knew that there was something different about Jesus because he recognized the miracles that no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And in John 5:36, Jesus said, I have greater works than that of John's for the works which the father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the father has sent me. So Jesus did miracles and the very works, the very miracles he did helped to identify him as the Messiah, as the savior of the world. So we find Nicodemus's willingness to come to Jesus. It was a significant step toward his salvation. But Jesus, he didn't deal with, yeah, I came from God, or thank you for acknowledging me as a great teacher, or calling me rabbi. He went right into telling Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And that brings us to verses 3 through 9. I'll read it for the context. In verse 3, we read, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? So Jesus, as he begins his addressed to Nicodemus, he begins by saying, you must be born again. You have to be born again. The necessity of two births, something that Nicodemus could not comprehend. To the Jews, you enter into the kingdom of God by keeping the Mosaic law. I pulled this from Jews for Judaism. We're familiar with Jews for Jesus, right? And so there's a website out there, Jews for Judaism. Now listen to how they describe salvation. After we die, we are judged by God, since he is the only true judge. Our place in heaven is determined by a merit system 
based on God's accounting of all our actions and motives. God also knows if we have repented for transgressions committed during our lifetime and takes this into account. Repentance has always been God's preferred and primary means for obtaining forgiveness. After the temple was destroyed, the repentance aspect of the atonement remained intact and sacrifices were replaced by sincere prayer. Sins that are not cleansed prior to death are removed by a process described as shield or Gehinnom. It means you've got to go to hell and work your way out of it, and then one day maybe you'll get to heaven. That's the hope of Judaism today. Jews for Judaism teaching that if you seek forgiveness, repentance, atonement will come through sincere prayer. But the Bible tells us, and this goes against the very word of God, as we find in the book of Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And they can't offer a sacrifice today because there is no temple And so now they have made it a merit system based on merits rather than the blood of an animal, rather than the blood of the lamb. And Jesus taught that salvation comes through new birth, not by a merit system based on our actions or motives combined with our repentance here on earth and future perhaps purgatory in shield or Gehinnom. In John 1, 12 through 13, we studied a few weeks ago As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, you can't inherit it, nor of the will of the flesh, you can't obtain it through personal efforts, the merit system, it's not going to work. Also, not of the will of man, social collaboration, we can't kind of determine God, okay, we got together, God, and we determine how salvation should look here on earth. So we want to tell you why you should allow us to come into heaven. This is our plan. We've drafted it out. We have it in a letter form right now. Because of that, you have to accept us. No, it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. Salvation is of God. That's what it says in John 1, 13, but of God. But you have to be born of water and spirit. Verses 5 and 6, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. I believe this speaks about two births, as Jesus is talking about here. You must be born again, our physical birth, and also a spiritual birth. Our physical birth, think about this. You're here today, not because of anything that you had done. It was your parents that came together that resulted in you, resulted in me. And just as our physical birth was not of our own doing, nor is our spiritual birth, it is a gift from God. Our process is faith in the work that Jesus did. It's not based on, as Jews for Judaism say, it's not based on our actions or motives, but In faith in Jesus Christ, that new birth comes. Our memory verse this month, we back up one verse from there in verse 23, where Jesus said in John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father 
in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. And our memory verse, verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is a triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe we have been created in a lesser triunity of spirit, soul, and body. Adam and Eve, when they were there in the garden at the beginning of creation, their spirit was uppermost. They were in fellowship with God, but when they ate of that fruit, they were separated from God. Their flesh became uppermost. And that's how we're birthed into this world today. We're birthed into this world with the flesh uppermost. We can't have fellowship with God apart from a spiritual rebirth. You must be born again. And as Paul wrote in Titus 3, verses 5 and 6, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's not based off our merits and actions and uh, sincere repentance, but by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are saved through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We must be born again. That which is born of the flesh, we've all been born of the flesh, but not everyone has been born of the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus went on to say in verses 7 and 8, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You must be born again. That word to be born, it means to procreate, to beget. It's properly of a father, but by extension of the mother. I mean, a, no one is born without a mom and dad, unless you get science involved there. There has to be a father, there has to be a, a mother. But here we have, you must be born again. It's a Greek word that's interesting to me. I looked it up this morning through several different of our translations from the King James to the New King James to the New American Standard. I wanted to see if everyone said again there because properly the Greek word speaks from above. You must be born from above. And some of the translators have translated it this way, that you must be born from above. It speaks about a place higher than this plane, this life. It speaks about a new work. You have to be born again, a fresh work. And it comes from the Father and through the Holy Spirit, that which is born of the Spirit. And then he goes on to give an example of the wind. And the wind could be... Uh, blowing out there it is in some form, maybe not intensely right now, but when we see the wind, whether mildly or greatly blow about, we never actually see the wind unless it picks up some dust and we get to see it that way. It's just blowing. We don't know its travel, its track that it'll be on. Science tries to figure it out and and they still don't know, even with the all the great technology we have with Doppler radar and such, and, and they can kind of track a potential track of a storm, but they don't know if it's going to stall out. They even use that for this weekend snow. 
saying if it stalls out, we could get more inches of snow, or if it just moves on quickly. They're not sure. But the wind blows, it comes and goes. In a similar way, he, he relates this to our salvation. The interesting thing, that in the Greek language, which we get the New Testament from, the Greek word is pneuma for spirit. It's also the same word that's used for breath and for wind. And so when you see it in the Greek, it says the pneuma blows wherever it wishes. The spirit also blows. It's the same word used there. You just got to, in context, know what Jesus is talking about there. In John 20, 22, it tells us that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came as a breath from Jesus and brought new birth into his disciples' lives. After he died, after he was resurrected from the grave, he breathed on them and they were saved. But also we read in Acts 2.2 that the Holy Spirit came as a sound from heaven, as a mighty and rushing wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And this teaches us when the Holy Spirit came invisibly as a sound from heaven, as a mighty and rushing wind, also visibly as divided tongues of fire, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit at this time. Being born again speaks about a new birth, our resurrection into newness of life through faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, 4, it tells us, Therefore you were buried with him through the baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You must be born again. And faith through Jesus Christ brings us to that. As I close out this message today, I'm going to share a little bit of my story of how John 3.16 became that verse that caused me to walk in newness of life after two years of struggling and wondering if I was saved or not. And so this passage has a, a significant impact in my own story and the salvation that the Lord has brought me. Well, I'm sure you've heard it before, but I put it in your bulletin that you would have it and remember it and perhaps share it with others. That if you're born once, you'll die twice, meaning only a physical birth. But if you're born twice, meaning you've been born again, born both physically and spiritually, you'll only die once, only die physically, because you have everlasting life. And the work of Jesus Christ giving us new hearts. He changes us from the inside out. Let me explain it this way. I believe that I am saved. And so I'm not working my way towards salvation. He has saved me. But as the redeemed of the Lord, he is changing me. And sometimes it seems ever so slowly. But he is changing, changing me from the inside out. Taking that heart of stone that is if you don't continually come to the word of God where it tells us in Ephesians 5, 26 that you are washed by the water of your word. If you don't continually come to Jesus every day and, and get that daily washing, that daily cleansing, not a daily saving, but just kind of washing away the trash of this world, that heart becomes hard in this world. Jesus came to give us new hearts. 
Let's stand together as the worship team comes. We'll close out in the last song. But we've been going over the verse, so I want us to say it. Let's say it together. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I pray that we would just take that verse into our hearts. Very famous verse of scripture, Lord, and we can know it, we can quote it as we just finished doing, but it doesn't mean we're saved unless we've actually done what the verse tells us to do. We have to believe. And Lord, I pray that if there is perhaps someone struggling, like I at one time had been, Lord, I know that I was saved now, looking back at it, I was just struggling. I wasn't sure. And you gave me surety on that day. Perhaps, Lord, you want to give surety to someone today. Perhaps, Lord, you just want to save them. They've been very religious, but they've never asked to receive you as their Savior. Lord, whatever work you desire to do in this place today, we pray, Lord, work. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. (laughs) 